Welcome to Season 2, Episode 38 of Beyond the Zero. I'm your host, Ben. Joining me today is Maddie Markwood. Maddie is a man behind the Pinchon subreddit, and he joins me from his home in Florida. Welcome to the show, Maddie. Hey, glad to be here. It's been a it's been a journey trying to get get here. I've had so many misconnections over the year. It's funny because when I started the idea, not even started the podcast, started the idea of this podcast, you were one of the first people I asked. But a year later, finally get to you. But it's a pleasure to have you on. I'm just, I'm really thrilled to be here finally. Like, because I, I felt so bad, like not having been not having been here yet. Because you, you, I remember like over a year ago before you even started, you were like, hey, do you want to do this thing? I was like, yeah, absolutely. And then it just didn't happen until now. <laughs> <laughs> well, better late than never. Absolutely. So how's your everyday life in Florida? Well, uh, we're in this part of the season, at least where I live in Florida, where it's either like raging hot sun, just never ends it's just so constant heat and it just bears down on you it's like it says it's 90 degrees but it feels like 110 or whatever and it's either that or it's storming all the time right now we're in the storming phase i think we have a little bit of relief right now between uh, rainfall today <laughs> otherwise you might actually hear it on the microphone but uh it, yeah we're in like I looked at my weather app uh, yesterday morning and said next 10 days, like just straight thunderstorms. So it's, it's either that or it's uh raging hot sun. And then on occasion, we also get the uh, occasional hurricane. Wow. Okay. And you came down to Florida from Virginia. Is that right? Yeah. I originally uh, was born and raised in Virginia, um, Virginia beach. And I lived in Florida for a little bit after high school. And then I ended up, you know, joining the Air Force, spent some time in Texas, and now I'm back in just a different area of Florida, working uh, working with jets and stuff. Yeah, we were talking about this before we started recording, and much like our friend Thomas Pinchon, uh, you've ended up working, you know, with people like Boeing with the Air Force. How's that? Boeing, Lockheed, they're a very interesting group because you have a lot of them that are just prior enlisted Air Force so people that like I work with, you know, will sometimes retire and then they'll go on to work with Lockheed and and um, Boeing. And so a lot of them are just kind of rough and tumble folks, you know, that are aircraft maintainers that are just super, I don't want to say grimy people or anything, but they're just, you know, they're different, very uh, rough characters, so to speak. You know, the Army talks a lot about like uh, how like rough like their infantry people are, but like for the air force, it's the maintainers that are like that. They're the, the rough crowd that everyone, that's kind of like the embarrassment for the rest of the air force. <laughs> so what got you into the air force? Oh my God. 
I w- okay, so I graduated in 2008 from high school. And, you know, that's when the economy was going to absolute just, you know, disaster. And my sister offered to let me live in Florida with her, you know, at a reduced <laughs> rent. So I was like, okay, yes, because I was homeless. I uh, I was living pretty much outside of my in my car, going to work and um, just sleeping in my car afterwards. And she's like, well, come down here and live with me, and we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll reduce your rent a little bit. So I got down there, and like I was ending up paying like five, six dollars a gallon for gas, working at a Starbucks, and like my paychecks paid for me to get there and back, and that was it. Like I was, I could barely afford food. I could barely afford rent. And I did that for like two years. And I was just like, I don't know if I can keep this up. I was, I tried to get into college, but I just had no idea what I was doing. And I had too much pride to ask people, you know, the right questions or ask for help. And I was like, you know what, I'll just talk to a recruiter because, you know, they'll pay for my college or whatever. And I was just young and impressionable and I thought it would be a good idea and that I'd get in and out and it would be done. And now 12 years later, I'm still in and it's just, <laughs> I'm kind of stuck in the inertia of it, especially with having a, a family with young children. It, the benefits really can't be beat. I'm, they paid for my bachelor's degree. I have full health insurance and dental for myself and my kids. My kids have special needs and my wife is disabled. So it's just kind of one of those things like, I don't necessarily like it. I've, my political sensibilities have kind of largely outgrown the desire to be a part of this machine anymore, but I just, I'm caught in the momentum and the inertia of it now. So I have to keep going and just treat it as an experience like any other. So during this experience, obviously we get on to pinch on. Before that though, what got you into, I guess, this whole world of reading? Well, I mean, I was always kind of a big reader um, growing up. Uh, I had a conversation with my therapist about this actually a few weeks ago. And, you know, my I had a pretty rough upbringing with my parents. Um, and one of the safest things I could do that wouldn't get me in trouble with them was reading. So I did a lot of that. I was reading a ton of the Goosebumps books. I don't know if you remember those. Yeah, they I were really big in, when I was growing up. Yeah, and Animorphs and things like that. And then, you know, when I got older, I got really into like horror novels, like Dracula, Frankenstein, you know, the classics. And um, I really liked those. And I just kind of started moving on to different books. Uh, I remember one day I was just kind of browsing through a Barnes and Noble over here. And it was, I I picked up a Kurt Vonnegut book. It was Breakfast of Champions, just uh, out of the blue. And read the first couple pages and I was like holy crap this is hilarious like and I sat there all afternoon and read the whole thing and I was just like this is amazing I I love this it it just it was the first time reading literature for me where I was like holy crap like this is so different than anything else I've ever read like I didn't know literature could do this or say these things I, I was like 17 or 18 at the time so it was just super monumental for me and then you know after I joined the Air Force I was I ended up reading a lot of Vonnegut again because like I was just feeling very lost and just really unsure of my place in the world and you know super young super impressionable as all on my own and you know 
just starting out in the military and I read Slaughterhouse Five and I was just like, again, blown away by the similarity of experiences, not necessarily, you know, I wasn't a prisoner of war or anything, but I was deployed when I first read that book. And it just spoke to me in, in so many ways. And when I read Vonnegut, I, I, I pretty much tore through him in my first deployment. Like I, I read all of his novels, all of his short story collections that had been released at the time, um, his nonfiction. And after that, like I kept reading because it just, it dawned on me like that that was like my main, it just became my, my main interest in life. Whereas when I was much younger, it was music. Now, uh, you know, after being in the Air Force and, you know, being so isolated, uh, literature really became my main focus and interest. So, you know, I started tearing through a lot of the classics like Hemingway and, and some of the harder ones like Joyce and Faulkner. And, you know, so, I mean, my, my favorite always remained Vonnegut. And it was, there was like this Vonnegut shaped hole in my life that I wanted to fill and I could never quite fill it with the other books I was reading until I landed on Pinchon. I, I pulled V off my shelf because I had, you know, I was, I had a lot of expendable income at that point in my life. <laughs> and, you know, I would just buy books and fill up my shelves and, you know, eventually get around to reading them or not reading them. Um, and I, so I picked the V up off my shelf one day and the opening pages of that book are set in Norfolk, Virginia, right near where I lived and grew up. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And that pulled me in. And it was, you know, years after I, you know, tried Gravity's Rainbow for the first time, read five pages and then put it down because I was like, I don't get it. Um, And I, I think I was 25 when I read V and it just finally clicked for me. I was like, holy crap, like this is just so next level like it was the same kind of feeling reading v that i had when i read breakfast of champions it opened up new ideas and doors and made me realize you know oh crap literature can do this too fiction can do this as well and you know i read crying of law 49 right after that and then you know gravity's rainbow vineland mason and dixon i just i tore through and he became my main focus um and filled that vonnegut shaped hole for me so that 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 was kind of my reading journey uh condensed i think like a lot of us who find pinch on on their own we then go and try and find some assistance to help us read pinch on because i don't think he's hard to read on your own but with you obviously you went you know down that route of finding some help and going over to reddit do you want to tell us how you got into that pinch on subreddit and how you ended up running it. So it, uh, I think first formed in about 2011, um, from what I understand. And I think I visited it a few times when I was reading his early works for, for the first time. And it wasn't until I was reading most of his books a second time that I actually started visiting the forum to see, you know, if there was a, like really I was just looking for a community to talk about pinch on with because I was rereading him after a few years of not having read him and you know I, I realized this community existed it was pretty active 
for a very small Reddit community. So I just started talking there. And I think the only book I hadn't read of his was uh, Against the Day at that point. And they encouraged me to read Against the Day and help me through that. And, you know, with any questions I had. And then around uh, April 2019-ish, I just kind of had this idea that I wanted to, you know, start doing reading groups with the subreddit where I would lead us through reading his novels and his short stories. So that way new readers could have that kind of accessibility to his work that I didn't necessarily have when I first started and a lot of other readers didn't have. So every time like a, every time we do a reading group, I archive all the discussions, the synopses, the analyses and into the subreddit wiki. And it's become like this big resource now that if you're reading any of his books for the first time, you can go there and, you know, help puzzle through that with what the group was doing at the time. So um, so I had this idea, I brought it up to the moderator and, you know, I said, Hey, can I, can I moderate, you know, and help run this? And he was like, yeah, sure. So he gave me the keys to the, the subreddit and I've been doing that since April of 2019. And we've done V crime of lot 49, gravity's rainbow, fine land, Mason and Dixon against the day. And we are in the middle of inherent vice. Um, this summer and this coming winter, we will be doing uh, Bleeding Edge. And we've also been doing a uh, little mini group reads too with his short stories every April and October. So we've we've built this really big resource out of the subreddit. So that way people who can visit it can just go to the wiki on the subreddit and have at their fingertips all this information and these resources for his novels. So that was really the big idea behind it. And the big motivation was just to, you know, help make him more accessible to new readers. And you were telling me before, how many people have got on this subreddit since you started running it, which I find amazing. I don't, I, I find it amazing too. And I, I don't necessarily take credit for it. I just, I think, especially in the Trump years and with the pandemic, and, you know, lockdowns, I think more and more people got attracted to his work and the themes that his works um, explore. So I, when I started, it was around, I want to say 2,200 some odd people. And as of a few months ago, we hit over 10,000 subscribers. So that's just, uh, that's an 8,000 subscriber increase roundabout in just about a little over three years. Um and it's surprisingly su surpassed uh, the David Foster Wallace and the Vonnegut subreddits in subscription. And it, to me, that's just incredible because I feel like those are way more commercially accessible um, authors. And I, I don't know if it's because, you know, Thomas Pynchon's work is speaking to more people at this you know time in history, um, or if maybe it's just the type of people that come to Reddit or more attracted to his kind of work. It's it's hard to say, um, but I, I don't necessarily take credit for it. It's just uh, been amazing to watch and, and and fun to watch, you know, more people get into his work, which is really why I wanted to get involved in it anyway. It's been very gratifying. I'm sure. 
I think for me, one of the things about Thomas Pinchon and authors, I guess, similar to him in different ways, is that Pinchon creates kind of a whole universe within his books. And I feel like there is an aspect that kind of threads together all of his work. But what do you think is the thing that makes him magical for you? There's so many different aspects of his work that really make him magical for me. Um, His prose is just outrageous. I could never write a sentence like he could. And especially if you, I think a lot of people get caught up on how difficult his prose can be. And I advise those people always to read one of his sentences aloud or listen to the audio book of it. Because when you hear the sentence spoken or recited, it just, it sounds like poetry to me. It reads like poetry to me. And then, like you said, he builds these worlds almost like, I've seen people argue that like his entire catalog represents one big great American novel. And I I like that idea because it does seem like all of his works do exist in this one kind of alternate history that's not so different than our own um and and you know some people are like well it's too absurd or or too uh cartoonish and I'm like honestly it really isn't like I feel like especially just uh the recent political climate in America has seemed just as cartoonish as anything out of a pinch on novel um I, I think he remains so politically and socially relevant just with every, every every new year. Like I find new connections between things he, you know, warned us about or, you know, postulated about years ago, decades ago, happening in modern America. And it's just really, really prescient in a way that few authors or intellectuals at large are capable of. Well, the great man is 85 now. Do you (laughs) think he's got a new book in him? I've heard several rumors from various sources that are more reliable than others or less reliable than others. Just a lot of rumors, honestly, that, you know, he is still working, that he's still trying to put out another work, um, that he has stacks of things written you know to be released after he he passes away um but they're all rumors i don't know what's true or what's not if this is all we have i'm grateful for it i do hope he has more left in him or more just waiting to be released um on you know a timetable of his choosing and Honestly, the one book I would love to see, because I feel like he's covered almost every aspect of American um, history, except for the Civil War. I'd love to see just a big, fat, thick Thomas Pinchon novel on the Civil War or or kind of around the Civil War. Um, that would be super cool. But, you know, anything that he would release, you know, in the future would theoretically just be super exciting for me. Like it could be, you know, a short story in the New Yorker or, you know, a, a hundred page novella. And I'd still just be stoked to have something new to read from him. See what he's thinking about these days. Well, if he's listening to this, I am fully behind that. I think a civil no- war novel would be unbelievable. And it would kind of complete <laughs> his project. I think like it would really complete the, basically the great historical novel of America, I think. Yeah. So like me, I think that 
after reading after reading Pinchon, I think I had a huge Pinchon shaped gap in my forward reading. Have you found anybody who's kind of filled that hole for you? Um, I found a few authors that have really filled that gap in in different ways. Um, I, I realize now that you know I'm never going to find anyone quite like you know Vonnegut or quite like Pinchon, and I'm okay with that because you know that's just the reality of uh, of authorship. You know, no one's going to have the exact same voice. Um, but I find adjacent things that really satisfy me on an intellectual and literary level. A um, couple of those have been John Barth, um, William Gaddis, Don DeLillo, and most recently, uh, Robert Coover. I've been on a Robert Coover tear for like the entire year. I think I've read like eight of his novels or nine of his novels in the last year. And I have more stacked up, like waiting for me to read right now. And a couple in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> so on Kuva, because I, I love Kuva, but I've probably not read enough of his work to, to enjoy it the same way you have. Um, what's his best book? The best one I've read is, is the first one I read, and that was uh, The Public Burning. It's just a novel unlike any other. It's so, so, so funny, so poignant. And it kind of just opens your eyes to a part of American history that's very shameful that people don't really like talking about. Like they talk about the 1950s in America as if they were like this golden age where everyone was happy and doing well and succeeding and thriving. But there was, you know, that underbelly of, you know, the Cold War distrust in anything left of center politically and the the fear and paranoia around that you know watching this mostly arguably innocent couple you know being paraded on stage and in court and just pu- not publicly executed that they were publicly executed in the novel <laughs> for fabulous reasons but uh you know in, in real life they were just you know executed as any other criminal but like you know, they had young children. They were my age, my wife's age when they were uh, executed. And it was just such a, God, it was an emotional experience reading it. It was almost like my first time reading Gravity's Rainbow. Um, it You know, I, I called it a uh, true American horror story when I, when I read it. I read it back in October for the first time and was just blown away by it because it's just absolutely horrifying and terrifying to think that, you know, this couple went from, you know, just being parents, raising their kids to the face of international communism in America and being, you know, executed for that. It's just such a terrifying thing to think of. I think that one of the brilliant things about that novel is this feeling of this almost carnivalesque atmosphere that runs through it. And you have, you know, people like Richard Nixon running through that book as well. Um, it just makes it feel, yeah, like an insane carnivalesque horror show. And honestly, that's how, like, so I've read eight of his novels, a couple of his novellas, a couple short stories of his so far. And all, 
all of his novels I've read after that came out after the public burning had that carnivalesque, uh, manic, almost Lynchian atmosphere to them. And I just, I love it. I it's, it, it's hard to be in that world for extended periods of time. Um, you know, I have to take breaks from it and read like simpler stuff in between his work sometimes. Um, because it's it's just so manic and exhausting sometimes but it, it really is just wonderful literature that i think has largely been overlooked in recent decades you know he was kind of a bigger name in the 70s and 80s um and you don't really hear about him that much anymore even though he's still very uh very still much very working active. and putting yeah. out work yeah i recently um I've got quite a few of his books on my shelf to be read, but I um, was surprised by two things recently because I've got his Brunus Day of Wrath, which is uh-huh. about a thousand pages. And next to that, I've got his Street Cop, which is a tiny, tiny little postage size book. I've been looking for that everywhere. And all I can find is the French language version of it online. And I haven't been able to, to get my hands on it yet but I I I do want to see it because I love Art Spiegelman's work um and just the idea of the two of them working together seems so cool Mm. although one of my friends said they were disappointed in it but I still want to I I want to read and experience it on my own I my disappointment was the fact that when I bought it I think I paid 20 Australian dollars which is probably like 20 cents in America but it is a tiny 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 book like, no jokes, it is the size of a postage stamp. A large postage stamp, but yeah, it's not huge. Yeah, I've seen people holding it in their hands and they look like giants, mm. you know, that, that got a book from the bottom of the beanstalk or something. <clears throat> it but, is a uh, cute thing. Like, it's a cute little book, but it's, yeah, it's not going to, it's not going to be the thing he's going to win the Nobel for, but it's a good book. I, I look forward to eventually getting my hands on something like it. <laughs> If I find a copy, I'll send it to you. You're too kind. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What I want to ask you about as well is doing all this stuff and pinch on subreddit, doing the group reads, stuff like that with three kids, two of whom are three-year-old twins. How do you get the time? I squeeze it in everywhere I can. Um, you know, I, I have my phone on me a lot at work and, you know, I have a lot of downtime at work. I kind of do more administrative stuff these days. Um, so I have periods in my day where I'm having, you know, slow workload and I'll, you know, use my phone to keep up with what I need to keep up with. Um, and my wife has been very generous in giving me the time to do this kind of stuff um, on our weekends, sometimes in the evening, sometimes I'll stay up a little later than she does or get up a little earlier than she does um, to just kind of be around and help move things along. And in these communities I've uh, helped found or, uh, or, or joined. It's, it's difficult. I I lose a lot of sleep. (laughs) We talked about this already to a great extent, but were there some gateway books for you that we haven't mentioned? Oh, gateway books. Um, so Vonnegut's books, all of them were pretty, pretty uh, foundational for me. Um, let's see. 
White Noise was another big one for me. I read that pretty early on in my literary exploration. And again, another another novel that I just, I never read anything like it. And to this day, I've never read anything else like it. He's, DeLillo is just a voice of his own. Um, but uh, Borges, um, Herman Melville's Don, or not Don Quixote, Herman Melville's Moby Dick, uh, Miguel Cervantes is Don Quixote. Um, so a lot of those like earlier maximalist texts um, were really foundational for, for me and made me want to move on to more challenging things. Uh, James Joyce's Ulysses, um, Faulkner's novel, novels, and the experimentation with with language and grammar and prose in those, especially in Absalom, Absalom, or The Sound and the Fury, as I lay dying, um, what else was there? Light in August. Yeah, th- those four were very foundational for me. Um, Hemingway was, I was big on Hemingway for a while, um, as are most young white men who get into reading. But uh, it, you know, it, there was just so much I wanted to explore in literature. So, like, I, I try to cover every era and author and niche I could to to fill in those gaps because I felt like I just wasn't smart enough or I wasn't um, well read enough and so a lot of my early 20s and my reading in my gateway books were you know the classics and um, or books that are considered the classics of western canon and you know I just to me those those are what led me to things like Thomas Pynchon or William Gaddis, Robert Coover, Tony Morrison, so. Wow. Um, let's talk about the books you're currently reading or you're looking forward to. So I am about four-sevenths of the way through um, John Barth's letters right now. That one's a super, super interesting book. It kind of, it's an epistolary novel between seven characters from his previous novels and himself and I described it to someone in a very cringe way. I, I told them it was uh, where it connected everything, like the Marvel universe. It's the Barth literary universe <laughs> book. <laughs> I, I, I said it as a joke, but it is kind of true because, you know, it connects the events of his previous six novels together and, and makes them into kind of a coherent, uh, interconnected story where it's also very metafictional in that like, it seems like it's not even really a real place that he's, he's writing about so much as it is just a imaginary play space within his head, because it seems like the characters have some degree of knowledge that they are fictional characters within his novel, but they don't want to admit it. So I'm kind of interested to see where that goes. I've been taking a break from it. Uh, I've been off of work for like the past week and spending a lot of time with the kids and, and, and the wife. And uh, so I haven't been, I haven't picked it up in a few days, but uh, I'm also reading Robert Coover's short story collection, Prick Songs and Descants. Um, very, very interesting to see his early stories and kind of how he developed his, his voice and his style. So those are the two I'm currently reading. I also read earlier this week um, a graphic novel by... W. Maxwell Prince. He writes 
the uh, series Ice Cream Man for um, Image Comics. And the one I read was A Week in the Library, I think it's called. And it's just about this librarian who works in this almost like a Borgesian uh, library with, I think the it's described as uh, having every text ever written inside of it. And the books are like rebelling against him and he's getting caught up in their different stories. That was an interesting, uh, interesting graphic novel to read. Not like a lot of, other comics that you uh you come across well okay are there books coming up like later this year you're looking forward to reading so i, I do look forward to Cormac mccarthy's new novels um what are they called the, the passenger. passenger and stella mm. maris maris i'm not sure how to pronounce that um but i, I do look forward to, to reading those and seeing what they're about um the covers look like like uh I don't know, left behind novels. Are you familiar with the the Christian apocalyptic series Left Behind? No. Tell me about it. It I it was it was a bigger thing in uh I want to say the late 90s, early 2000s in America. It's just this weird evangel evangelist uh Christian apocalypse series about the the rapture where you know it's about the people who were left behind after the rapture and they have to, I don't know, do things to get good with God before you know, the end of the world or whatever. I don't know. It's just that th those are the vibes that those covers give me. I think like, usually I see chip kid covers and I'm like, wow, these are really cool. But I saw those and I was like, what is that? Like th those have to be placeholders. And then I see people with advanced copies of them, like on Instagram and Twitter. And I'm like, oh, those aren't placeholders, <laughs> but wow. I, I look forward to reading them regardless of the covers. <laughs> I didn't know that there, there were copies out there yet in the wild. I've seen quite a few people with copies. Um, it, it maybe it's just because of the the circles I inhabit online, but uh, yeah, they're sending out advanced copies already, which seems a little early, but you know, good for them. Exactly. <laughs> they get to read, you know, some cool stuff before everyone else. Yeah, hope it's good. I've got it on pre-order. Looking forward to that. Um, just in terms of books I want to read this year, um, <clears throat> coincidentally just made a Instagram post about this, I think this morning. Um, I think I included in it um, The Pale King by David Foster Wallace because I have not read that one yet. Um, what else? Been wanting to read Zadie Smith and Joyce Carol Oates for a while, so I have white teeth and blonde on my, my TBR. Probably, oh yeah, You Bright and Risen Angels by William P. Volman. That one is uh, one I'm looking forward to. I just got that in the mail a couple of weeks ago. Probably going to read that after letters. Um, what else is there? Got to look at that post real quick. Oh yeah, I've also been really wanting to read Richard Powers. Been hearing really good things about his novel, The Goldbug Variations. And I it's, you know, a big chunky book that it's been on my bookshelf for like about a year or so. And I still haven't gotten around to reading it. And someone I know has finally been pushing for me to read it. So I want to try to read that before the end of the year. And then I think the last one on it was uh, The Intuitionist um, by Colson Whitehead. I read his novel, The Underground Railroad earlier this year. And I wasn't expecting to like it very much. Um, some of the people, you know, I know 
said that they didn't care for very much, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really interesting take on uh, American slavery and Civil War era um, and the era of uh, the Fugitive Slave Act. So I'm interested to see what he can do in the the realm of speculative fiction, which I believe is where uh, the intuitionist falls into. So I think those are the the books I want to try to get around to, in addition to some more Coover <laughs> novels before the end of the year. With Coover, are you going through him chronologically or just wherever? Scattershot. <laughs> um, I've read all of his novels from his first all the way through Pinocchio in Venice. No, uh, Ghost Town, except for John's Wife. But I just got that in the mail a couple weeks ago, so... And I have another, a couple other of his novels in the mail on the way over here too. So I'm just, I think I'm going to try to read all his uh, larger works uh, before the end of the year and then get around to his uh, smaller novellas and short story collections maybe next year or in the coming years. Do you see a Kuva subreddit at some point? Oh, you know what? I did start one a while back when I, when I was kind of in the midst of my, my Kuva mania and it, it just hasn't uh, taken off at all <laughs> i think there's like uh 40 or 50 some odd uh, members and it's not very active at all uh, i was hopeful but uh, it didn't didn't work out so well we'll take a quick break here on beyond the zero we're speaking with maddie markwood From the master of horror stephen king the all-new chilling 10-part netflix series shopping list 15 bucks for fucking lettuce. Watch it now on Netflix if you dare. We're back on Beyond the Zero. It's time for Maddie's Top 10. In terms of my favorites... I wouldn't say that any of these are in any particular order and a lot of others by these novelists I'm going to name are also favorites of mine. So top 10, I guess, is always constantly in flux changing. Um, Gravity's Rainbow goes without saying is, is a very big formative novel in my reading experiences. Um, the Recognitions, J.R. by William Gaddis. The Public Burning by Robert Coover just became an instant favorite as soon as I read it um, back in October. Um, I really love Song of Solomon by Toni Morrison. That's probably my favorite novel of hers that I've read. Um, Beloved is awesome, but Song of Solomon is just, I don't know why. It just makes me so happy when I read that book. I've read it a few times and it, it just, it's such a comfortable space for me to inhabit <laughs> for some reason. Um, Master of Margarita by Mikhail Bulgakov. Am I saying that right? I don't know. Bulgakov, but, yeah. Bulgakov. Mm -hmm. um, short stories of Franz Kafka. I, I love his, his short fiction, um, a lot more than his novels, um, although his novels are also fun to read. Um, the Sotweed Factor by John Barth. One of the funniest things I have ever read and ever will read, I'm sure. Uh, Breakfast of Champions by Kurt Vonnegut. 
and White Noise by Don DeLillo. So a lot of things I, I've mentioned before. Um, I think that was 11. And that's the thing. It's like, I knew I was making this list. It's like, I'm sure everyone who's listening to this has read these, but they, they, they are favorites of mine. And I'm sure I'll come across more that'll supplant some of these someday. Um, my goal is always just to become a wider read person and, and read as widely as possible. All kinds of different, you know, people from different walks of life, different countries, different cultures. Um, mine's very white and male mostly and very american but you know i do try to read a lot more widely than that it's hard isn't it it's hard to find that diversity within your reading sometimes yeah and you know i've being on on instagram and seeing you know some of my friends and pals who have like similar tastes getting into different authors like I don't think I ever would have started reading Volman recently if it wasn't for some of the people I was interacting with. And uh, I think I just recently picked up the melancholy of resistance based on, you know, what people have been saying about that and reading it. Um, so there's a, there's a ton out there that I, I want to get to and will eventually get to. <laughs> All right. Well, we should probably wrap it up, but before we do, do you want to tell us where we can go look at the pinch on subreddit and where we can find you online so on reddit you can find the pinchin subreddit by just typing in thomas pinchin into the search engine it's r thomas pinchin and on instagram i'm at the obliterature i am also at the obliterature um on twitter those are pretty much the only places i'm on social media wise um i do have a story graph and goodreads but i don't keep up with them that much um, and then I do sell t-shirts, um, on, on Redbubble and Teespring, uh, literary t-shirts. So you can find those links all on my, uh, link tree on either Twitter or Instagram. I'm not going to plug that too much here. Yeah. I've seen the t-shirts. They're pretty cool. I, I appreciate it. I've been working really hard on them. I, uh, I've been trying to make sure that on, honestly, the idea behind it is just, uh, making t-shirts about literature that I would want to wear because there's just such a gap in that uh, particular marketplace niche. You know, you see band shirts, you see movie shirts and, you know, video game shirts, but you don't see a lot of book shirts. Um, and, you know, I just kind of got a wild hair up my butt one day and I was just like, I wonder if I could do it. And I made a couple of prototypes and I was like, wow, I, I can do it. And I was like, maybe I could sell them. So when, I was talking to you was like, well, why don't you try one of those print on demand sites like Redbubble or Spring? And I was just like, okay. And then I started and I couldn't stop. I have like over 200, 215 or so, some odd uh, designs now up on between the, the two uh, websites, Teespring and Redbubble. And uh, a lot of people really like them. Or, or have said nice things to me about them. <laughs> so uh, I'm just glad to be able to fill that void for, for people who want that kind of thing. Yeah, very cool. What a good idea. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It's been so good chatting with you after all this time. I've had a blast. I'm really, really uh, happy to have finally uh, seen your face and get to talk to you for <laughs> an extended period of time. <laughs> well we'll have to do it again soon absolutely
Thanks once again to Maddie Markwood. Check out the show notes for all the details. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Beyond Zero Pod, and you can email us at beyondthezeropod at gmail.com. We'll be back with your next episode very soon. 